This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. Canto 5 begins by offering us an insight into the nature of the negligent whom we met in the previous canto, and then brings us face to face with the last group of the late repentant which are those who have died a sudden and violent death. Here, we get a definitive answer to the question of what separates those in purgatory from those in hell. And here, we see with an absolute clarity that the foundations and the heart of purgatory is grace. Grace that is freely and lavishly given to any sinner who repents. But let us proceed in order. As Dante and Virgil began to walk away from the lazy Bilacqua, one of the fellows points excitedly to Dante's shadow and calls out to others to come and look. The cry catches Dante's attention, and he too would stop and stare and gawk if not for the stern rebuke from his master. Dante the pilgrim blushes at Virgil's words, as if he is a little boy who's been caught with his hand in the cookie jar. But why? What's wrong with looking at one's shadow for a bit? The problem, as it turns out, is not that he looks, but how and in whose company he does it. The people that call out to him are the negligent. While on earth, they have put off obedience to God, not because they opposed God, but because they were too easily distracted by many other things. Listless and idle, they have no orienting purpose or goal. So, they are only too ready to gawk at any novelty. And now, Dante is ready to join in their diversions as well. It is significant that the temptation to linger, to slow down and rest for a while, comes right after his very difficult climb, and he probably feels that he deserves a little break. We recognize this state of mind, don't we? When we suddenly become interested and all sorts of things that we have never noticed or paid attention to before, just because we are putting off a difficult thing we're supposed to be doing. Thankfully, Virgil seems to have learned his lesson at the base of the mountain and is determined to keep Dante from being sucked in by the contagious mindset of the idol. And so the pair walks on and meets the group of those who died by violence. The difference between the negligent and this group is striking. Just as the negligent moved with slow, languid motion that put us in mind of dripping molasses. These souls are full of quick and sudden movements. They run, they dash about, they crowd together. They're compared to a shifting mist in one translation and to the shafts of light piercing the clouds in another translation. They're all action. And the interest in Dante's living body, even though it's still a distraction, is not a mere distraction. Rather, it is deeply nostalgic. And Virgil mirrors back this nostalgia when he says that Dante's body is true flesh. Virgil clearly notices the difference in this group's attitude. And so he lets them talk to Dante, provided that they walk while they talk. 
Everyone present is roughly a contemporary of Dante's, which means that they haven't been in purgatory for too long. The stories they tell are still full of raw emotions and kind of details that tend to be dropped with many retellings. Jacopo, for example, tells us about the reeds and mud that ensnared his feet, even as he watched his veins becoming a pond of blood. But, thrilling as these stories are, why is Dante telling them? Surely this is not yet another distraction from the task at hand. I suggest that the stories of these people, so recently and so brutally killed, allow Dante to answer the question that have been nagging at us the whole time we journeyed through hell. As we have witnessed scores upon scores of souls arrive at the banks of River Acheron, as we saw the seemingly endless parade of sinners in hell, we might have found ourselves asking the same question that the astonished disciples put to Jesus. Then, who can be saved? Remember how in the eighth ditch of Malbolge we met a man who dedicated years of his life to repentance over the sins of his youth, only to be dragged to hell for helping a corrupt pope to defeat his enemies? If years of monastic life could not outweigh one instance of sin, a sin for which this man was promised an absolution, then what hope is there for any of us? The answer to this question becomes clear when we meet those who have died suddenly. If there is anyone unprepared to meet their maker, these people are surely it. Death came to them as a thief in the night. They did not have time to examine their lives, to confess their sins, to receive the Eucharist and the final absolution. No time to turn their lives around or make amends for whatever offenses they might have caused. No way to show God that they are truly, truly sorry. Yet, here they are, on the slopes of Mount Purgatory, with their salvation and blessedness guaranteed. The apparently staggering unfairness of such an outcome is voiced by the demon who comes to collect Bonconte's soul. You see, Bonconte was the son of the man who was dragged to hell for aiding the corrupt pope. He was a Ghibelline commander and so fought on the opposite side of Dante in the Battle of Campaldina. He was killed in that battle, but his body was never found a detail that allows Dante to write his own take on Bonconte's final moments and his body's fate. As Dante imagines it, a mortally wounded Bonconte staggers to the river Archeano, where his sight and speech fail him, but not before he manages to just breathe Mary's name. A demon comes for Bonconte, but he is thwarted by an angel. Enraged, the demon hollers, Oh, you from heaven, why deprive me of his soul? He sheds one little tear, and you bear his immortal part away. But that's just it. Tears of repentance is the only thing sinners can contribute, and it's the only thing they need to contribute. When a person asks for forgiveness, she does more than acknowledge their sin, although that is huge in and of herself. She submits herself to God's judgment and to his mercy. 
the posture of a penitent is a posture of humility, and it is a posture of faith in God and his promise. One presupposes the other, and together, faith and humility make ascend up the mountain purgatory possible. Those who died by violent death recognize that they have nothing to bring to God except their tears, and even these are brought about by the gracious act of God. They tell Dante that it was the light from heaven that enabled them to see their own sin even as they experienced an outrageous wrong at the hands of another. And so it was the light from heaven that enabled them to repent and to forgive. So now, instead of exposing the names of their killers, demanding justice for themselves, or asking the living to avenge their death, these souls ask the living only for their prayers. For how can we ask God to forgive us our debts if we are unwilling to add, as we also have forgiven our debtors? And so, these souls walk and sing miserere, which is Psalm 51 set to music. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Here, then, is our answer. Both purgatory and hell are populated by sinners. Yet those in purgatory know themselves to be sinners. And in a very important way, those in hell don't. Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com. 100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Torrey Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.